Hello, my name is Garrison Lovely, and I'm not that interesting, but this is the most interesting people I know. Conversations on science, ethics, and politics. My guest today is Zach Roberts. Zach is a photo and video journalist whose work has been published on the cover of the New York Daily News, The Observer, The Guardian, and on the inside of the New York Times, TheNation.com, Al Jazeera, Washington Post, BuzzFeed, and Newsweek, among others. For the past 10 years, Zach's been on the trail covering social movements, investigating election theft and corporate crime, and most recently tracking white extremism. Some notable events and stories he's covered are Ferguson, Occupy Wall Street, the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, and over a dozen different Trump rallies. Zach has been beaten and trampled at Occupy, arrested and had guns pointed at him in Ferguson and Charlottesville. In today's conversation, we cover his experience with Bloomberg's NYPD during Occupy Wall Street, the legacy of that movement, how the media fails to cover protests correctly, Zach's breakup with Ralph Nader, his experience documenting the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, his photos of a brutal beating committed by white extremists, which contributed to a number of convictions, how the police completely failed to protect and serve in Charlottesville, the experience of covering white extremist groups, how the police have changed since Trump took office, how the media ignores stories that actually matter, the almost massacre in Richmond, Virginia, white nationalist killings that aren't classified as such, and how you can be an effective anti-fascist. You can find Zach on Twitter at ZD Roberts, and I will put a link to his website and his Patreon in the show notes. As always, I'm on Twitter at Garrison Lovely, and you can email the show at mostinterestingpeople27 at gmail.com. Here is Zach Roberts. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Zach, you've seen some shit. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> That's uh, actually, as opposed to just calling myself a journalist, uh, I just be like, I've seen some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but no, like, I mean, it's it's hard. Like, I have friends that have like been in Syria and Afghanistan and stuff like that. So it's like I call, I joke, I jokingly call myself an American conflict journalist. Um, because that's and ended up being what I do. I have a bulletproof vest and a Kevlar helmet and gas mask and everything like that. And, uh, I've never actually used any of them overseas. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I was talking to my roommate yeah. about, uh, your work and we were thinking like, if you're going to stay in the United States, you're covering some of the most intense stuff that's going down. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll certainly. <laughs> so I guess, yes. uh, you first came on my radar. I'm sure I've seen your photos had seen your photos before this have been everywhere um but you tweeted something about michael bloomberg um (laughs) and it was it was pretty against him and you have some personal experience with bloomberg and his nypd uh at the occupy wall street rallies um and protests so could you just take take us through that story yeah so um i was uh uh i wasn't or uh, i'd been working as a journalist uh for a couple years with a a bbc journalist uh, named greg pallast um he wrote uh best democracy money can buy he's the guy that kind of broke the florida story about elections Mm. um and i had kind of started occasionally just because we needed somebody started taking photos i've always been a photographer since i was like nine years old um but not i was a researcher and occasionally an editor and things like that but uh started taking photos and i'm like oh and then this occupy wall street thing comes along and i hear i hear about the first day of it and you know i've covered at this point i've been covering protests uh since 2000 uh roughly and so if you cover protests long enough, especially in New York City, I mean, if you go to a, if you go to protests, you're like, oh, you're, this sounds like it might be a big protest. And there's nine people and it's yeah. always the same nine people <laughs> yeah. like uh, so I go down to Occupy, Occupy Wall Street the first day and 
let to say the least, I was very kind of disheartened by by the not by the showing necessarily. Like there was still like a thousand people there uh, towards the end of the rally. Like kind of like everybody always shows up late. That's you know whether it's a whether it's a party or whether it's a rally, people show up late. It's not mm-hmm. a big thing. But like it was just like I don't know. They were doing they were doing yoga in the park and like marching around in a circle. And it was just one of those like as a cynical old bastard that I already was at the age of like. I don't know how old God, how old was I then? Uh, Twenty eight or something like that. Um, <laughs> I uh, um, I was like a little bit cynical of it, but like you know, day after day after day, it built. And once people started like physically occupying the space, um, which is something that was new, at least for me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'd covered maybe a couple like you know like type of occupations where we like, but it was like you know, occupy an office for during the office hour sort of thing, not like sleeping in camp sleeping in in uh uh in sleeping bags with tents and you know in the freezing cold which had it gotten pretty cold pretty quickly uh that fall and so it changed my opinion of it and uh but what really changed my opinion and it's not something that i had been new uh had been you know it's not something that had been new to me that mm-hmm. uh, the new york police department uh, new york city police department uh was adamantly and violently cracking down on every single thing that they would do. Um, and I think the only reason that they didn't just beat heads and clear out the park is that there were enough media down there, enough independent media. And this is really, I think 2011 was before, before you know, I mean, tw- things like Twitter and th- like the, certain things existed, but not in the way that they do now, where it's just like, any event happens on any street corner almost in America now, you're almost promised that you're going to find a live stream of it or something like that. And then, you know, there's a handful of people live streaming it and a handful of people taking photos. Um, but, you know, even the big media outlets, uh, you know, like the mainstream wire services were actually covering it. The problem is, is that they often would go home uh, at like at 9 p.m. Or, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't file anything about it, at least especially in the early days uh, before it became uh, kind of a national like institution and news story where there was, you know, there's 30, 40, 50 locations, you know, like friends of mine uh, up in Anchorage, Alaska were occupying, freezing to death, (laughs) uh, occupying a space. I mean, like there was occupations everywhere um, and it became a, you know, international movement. Uh, But early days, you know, people would go home and, you know, not cover when they would do like nighttime rat like marches, they would do nighttime marches through the streets. And that's when some serious shit would go down like uh like like you saw in that bloomberg uh that and i'm putting quotes air quotes up uh ad that i uh that i made uh which was showing one of the it was uh i think it was the first couple weeks that it, uh that it happened and they were just doing a peaceful march this was uh you know maybe like two three blocks away from uh uh zuccotti park and which is where the occupation for the young kids out there, <laughs> the occupation happened. Also, a.k.a. Liberty Square, um, but uh, which is what it used to be called before Bloomberg's uh, girlfriend's uh, company took it over. Um, oh, wow. But uh, yeah, no, there's some really weird like you could go down a whole conspiracy line. It, I, I stay away from the stuff or whatever, but it is like you know, Wall Street bankers, you know, like some Alex Jones level shit. Could you could start going on? Um, not that he would. I don't think not that he would ever have supported that anyway. But um, but the the fact is that um, the fact it was just a peaceful protest. We're marching along and police had this obsession with, you know, keeping the sidewalks clear. It's two o'clock. It's 1130 at night in Wall Street. Wall Street, yeah. sh- the whole area shuts down at 530. Like, yeah, it's it totally is empty. Dead. 
McDonald's. Clo- I mean, like everything closes, like pizza shops will close or whatever. Actually, like the local businesses actually started keeping longer hours because Occupy, Occupy Wall Street was around there. There was a, a couple pizza shops that were in the nearby area that normally would close down early because no one no one is around that area. Um because there wasn't even there wasn't even like there is now. There's a bunch of tourist type locations, uh, and well, I mean the the trade center is you know actually built, and at that point it was just you know it was just uh, scaffolding and and you know some iron girders type of thing, um, and and so there's nothing down there, and so there was like it basically created this entire economy uh, during this time. It was which is its own fascinating story, which I assume somebody someday will write a book about, but, um, but the streets are clear. And so they'd be just doing a March around, you know, basically I I assume just to keep warm essentially at some point um, and to, you know, at least, you know, there's a handful of maybe wall street bankers that are, you know, still working their offices and at least have the voice, the voice heard, but the police were adamant about the, the streets, be, you know, the, the sidewalks being clear, uh, you know, whatever. So even when they were marching along, police would decide, I don't know, people aren't moving quick enough, whatever. And that type of incident, um, and feel free to play the audio or whatever, if you want, yeah. uh, from that. Uh, but like that incident where you had, you know, people thrown on the sidewalk, you know, this, this one cop just completely went off the wall started trying to hit people with a baton he hit my lens which you actually can see you can actually if you can just hear in the uh if you listen to the i have it on uh youtube if you just listen Mm -hmm. to the audio on it you can actually hear the when the baton hits the lens hood on my camera it actually screwed up the uh autofocus on my on that lens for a while Mm -hmm. um but uh the fact that it just they would just go nuts. I mean, like I had seen, you know, I'd covered the the big protests uh, when the art, the Republican National Convention was in New York City back in 2004. And that was like a million, you know, it was like 700,000, I think, people in the streets, which is just unheard of up until up until like the Women's March. You know, there was mm-hmm. numbers and whatever. That one, though, like just media, just complete media blackout. It was it was it was wild, like not to see any media covering this, just independent photojournalists and like still wire photographers covering it. But um, but the fact that like they, the police would just consistently just beat heads, uh, you know, and and arrest every single night. There'd be at least four or five arrests. And then you'd read about read about, you know, look in the newspapers the next day. And there'd be nothing, literally nothing about it until like a couple of weeks in the metro section in New York, uh, in the New York Times started covering it in quotes, but they covered it not they again they cut out like you know really early like at six o'clock which you know nine to six nothing really happened that much you know action wise like there was a lot of talking and events maybe somebody would come by pete seeger would sing or something like that you know i mean like people would come down and and talk but it was nothing really genuinely going on until later in the night when kind of the actual like protests sort of started happening and um, so there's this weird media blackout of one of the biggest news stories in the country in the media capital of the world, <laughs> New York City. I mean, you had within within 15 blocks of, of Zuccotti Park, you had almost every single media operation had, you know, and not only just the media operations, but like dozens of journalists lived in, you know, lived in that area. And they could all just walk down there and go down and you just wouldn't see it. Um, you, you know, the nightly news, you know, ha- would have like maybe a, a short segment about it or whatever. But, um, you know, once again, I mean, like when I was, you know, to jump forward to the the night that I call the cleansing of Zuccotti Park, when they completely cleaned it out and like literally power washed the sidewalk, they 
broke every single thing they could possibly find in in there, including rumored that they stomped some kittens. Um, everything. I mean, the, the stories are brutal. I I have not been able to confirm it, but I don't know how you would confirm it because they literally just threw everything, including like a thousand book library called the Occupy Wall Street Library, into the garbage. Um, a lawsuit actually happened after that, and the the occupy the occupiers actually won the lawsuit against them for the for what they did that day. Uh, but it didn't matter. That was the order. There's there's video of of uh, Michael Bloomberg to bring this back around to the whole point. Uh, there's video of this of, of from Michael Bloomberg actually announcing ahead of time that he was going to do the cl- uh, the cleansing, and and when again when I say cleansing, I mean like it was power washed from top to bottom, cleaned completely, and supposedly the occupiers were going to be let back in. And obviously no one believed that because it didn't happen and still has not happened since. Mm. Um, And so, but it is, but that night I was, uh, I was covering it and was pushed back and, you know, kept getting pushed back. And it was a crowd of like, you know, at least a thousand people on, on the kind of the street corner that I was at. And they kept pushing back, kept pushing back. And I was, of course, at the front, you know, because that's usually where photojournalists are is we have to be between the police and the the, the, the protesters, kind of the most dangerous point possible. And uh, I got pushed back and down. I ended up falling back on a sidewalk uh, on a uh, the the, the uh, sidewalk edge and ended up getting trampled by about like, you know, five or six people at least walked literally had to walk over me. There was just no space the entire wow. time. I'm screaming, press, 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 um, trying to get up and trying to lift myself up. But every time I would do that, somebody would step on my back. Luckily, I had my backpack. Um, I had my laptop in there, which I'm just thinking slightly as I'm getting trampled. I'm thinking I'm like, oh, crap, there goes a you know, $1,500 laptop. That's going to be fantastic. Somehow it survived. Um, wow. Props to uh, mid 2011's uh, MacBook Pros. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but to make light of this, um, but, uh, you know, I got chomped. And then once the police had cleared everyone back, I was still trying to get up. And then that's when they started just beating me with uh, with batons. Again, while I'm yelling, press, press, press. And then when I got up, they screamed at me to go back as if like nothing had happened. You know, not that I'd ever expect an apology or anything like that, but just a recognition that they had done something wrong is always surprising uh, that they that it just doesn't ever come. And it never happens. Like, I think one time in in 10 years of covering um, actions and protests in New York City, once I've gotten an apology once. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, acknowledging that you did something wrong. There's probably legal reasons you don't want to do that. I mean, you know, you can go there's there's you know, I mean, there's because there's so much quiet. And and as a journalist, uh, especially working in New York City, so much of your livelihood and so much of your ability to cover anything from a uh, from a rally to a concert that's had, you know, like concerts happen in the park to just normal incidents that you for carrying a camera, you see something happen, depend on police essentially just allowing you to do it because they can arrest, which I was arrested at Occupy Wall Street whilst cover, covering one of the events, ended up getting charged with trespassing. My arresting officer actually said, said to his higher up while I was sitting there, are we arresting journalists? Um, and so he recognized that I was a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> and then then the thing, well, does he have New York City press credentials? I don't have press, New York City press credentials because New York City press credentials are decided by are given out by the New York City Police Department. Um, <laughs> so any working member, official working member of uh, the press, especially photo- photojournalists, they have to have it basically. I was not a full, I was a freelancer. I was not a full-time photojournalist. Otherwise I would have had to have gone through the process of getting them, um, whether or not I would have been able to or not, because you have to show, 
show your work to the police and then they look at your work and then they decide um, whether or not you're a journalist in their eyes. So, you know, you have sites like the Gothamist in early days um, had to had to spend like two years or something like that suing the New York City Police Department to get press or to get press passes. The Gothamist, literally the wow. name and their title that they, you know, like to be able to cover events. And you have to be able to prove the ridiculous nature. And I'll try to keep it brief, but because I did actually do a whole Twitter thread on this uh, like a month ago or a couple of weeks ago. But is the fact that you have to prove to get a press credential in New York City, you have to prove that you have the need to cross police lines. First off, the police never allow you to cross police lines usually anyway. Um, but the fact is that how do you prove that? Well, you have to show stories that you have to do that. Well, you have to cross police lines then. So you have to literally break the law to yeah. um, uh, to cover a news story by crossing police lines and then show that evidence to the police. Wow. And then that's when they allow it. It's the most ridiculous or that or you work or you get a job working for, you know, one of the big news publications. And then you're then they just then it works out. You don't have to prove it because obviously if you're a photojournalist for The New York Times, yes, you need a New York City press. I would never deny that, that, that some, you know, whatever. But, you know, if you're a freelancer, which 90 percent of the photojournalists that are working and journalists that are working in New York City today are freelancers. Um, and so it is this ridiculous thing where you have to you can't be um, not you can't not have a good relationship or at least a working relationship with the New York City Police Department. And, you know, one of the things I mean, like by the end of it, I had a lot of, you know, higher ups in the police department that would recognize me because um, I I have a bad ability to not talk back <laughs> ah. um, and and declare that this is ridiculous, that they, you know, that, you know, I just had a police officer take a swing at me or do whatever and then just go shrug their shoulders and whatever. And so, you know, like I walked out of Occupy Wall Street with an arrest record, um, at least one concussion. Um, and, you know, I don't know how many bruises I got hit in that video, the Bloomberg video that we we're talking about. I got mm -hmm. hit on the shoulder with that. I hit a nice big welt. Um, and that was just a normal night, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, oh, and, you know, one of the big things is that the night that I was trampled, um, I had a fantastic one of the best photojournalists working in, in New York City that works for The New York Times. I had him. He witnessed it. He came. He came up to me afterwards and checked in on me and said, are you OK? Are you OK? Immediately called it into the, to the New York Times as I was standing there to the Metro desk. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, you know, at least this will get a mention of what happened tonight. Um, you open up the Metro section the next day after the cleansing of Zuccotti Park, where, you know, just I, I don't even know how many people got pepper sprayed. Viol massive violence happened that night. And uh, it was basically you, re you read that story and it's like, oh, just another day at Occupy Wall Street. You know, wow. nothing, you know, nothing big because the Metro editor, um, the, the person who would write most of the stories is actually uh, a business writer. And so mm. he, you know, again, I mean, it's, you know, I, you know, I, I talk about this, you know, um, with people who aren't there and I'm like, God, I sound like a conspiracy theorist and, you know, whatever. But it's just like, you know, it is one of these things, you know, we see this on how Bernie is covered. You know, we see, you know. Chris Matthews talks about how he's, you know, people are going to be beheaded in, in Central Park. Then he goes, you know, like, oh, that like the Nazis coming in and, you know, and taking uh, taking Paris. And you're like, what? Anyone, if there's an equivalent that you could say as, uh, you know, on, on the left, if Bernie Sanders, some media, you know, talking head said that if Nina Turner had said, well, Pete Buttigieg came came running in into Iowa like uh, like the Nazi party. Holy crap. She would be <laughs> it would be a, a, 
<laughs> game over, you know? I mean, it'd just be insane and we all know it and we just all recognize it. And then you have the the guy from The Root uh, who had already argued that Bloomberg is not an oligarch. That's ridiculous, you know, which he's literally the definition of an oligarch. And that's yeah. why, you know, to bring, that's why in my video, I say, this is what oligarchs do. You know, oligarchs protect uh, their interests and protect their friends. And that's the only thing that a, a peaceful protest to Occupy Wall Street, that's what they were doing, is they were annoying the the uh, the millionaires and billionaires and the stockbrokers that would that would get up off this that would come in through the subway or come in there you know and come in their limousines or whatever and come into that area is that they had to go through a little bit more security and maybe they had to step over somebody in a sleeping bag um, and that was just too much for them you know yeah. crime didn't go up in the area other than you know police arresting everybody you know local economy didn't suffer the local economy thrived. <laughs> because of Occupy Wall Street. An and entirely that's what new right? What's that? Uh, they want small businesses to do well. Well, what they? <laughs> small business. I mean, that's the thing, though, is that small businesses succeeded. Uh, the the cart, the you know, the cart vendors that must have made bank when that when that was going on because there's nowhere else to get food. I know personally, I spent probably five hundred dollars at those at those carts buying you know whatever I possibly could just to survive. Because I at the time I was working a, a job at at B and H Photo Video. I would work 10 hours there because the shifts are longer there. You come uh, take a cab or, or take the subway down to Occupy Wall Street, cover that until two o'clock in the morning and then take a cab out to my my apartment out in Jamaica, Queens, and then come back to B&H and cycle, rinse, repeat. Um, and so <laughs> so yeah. it was, uh, you know, I mean, people were, you know, it was an incredible like little economy that happened. And, you know, it's it's sad that it's not, you know, that. You know, I've yet to see anyone talk about um, how Bloomberg dealt with uh, Occupy Wall Street. And mind you, there's a laundry list of things I think we can get to. I think his his sexual harassment, the NDAs, the uh, you know, the fact that how he works as a businessman and how his how uh, Bloomberg News has basically just bowed, took a knee to to uh, his presidency and can't write anything bad about, you know, anything bad about him, how he took a third term. Which is something that some that doesn't come up enough. Like this is what again, this is what oligarchs do. They own a media empire that they control. They take extra terms when they want to. That's what Vladimir Putin does. Uh, I hate that comparison, but that's what he did. He literally yeah. just cycles around with uh, um, with his uh, uh, prime minister, and they just turn around because that you know cheating basically around how uh, the Russian constitution works, and and this is he's the definition of it. You know, I mean, he's the definition of an oligarch and. You know, it's it's disturbing that even the small numbers of people so far that are polling, you know, as he did that terrible debate performance when Elizabeth Warren <laughs> just dug into just, him. Boom, <laughs> wow. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I have my I have my problems with Warren. Um, uh, but, you know, after that night, I was just like, OK, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, have to, <laughs> you have to go along. You have to say thank you for that one. No, it, it was a good performance. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to come back to uh, there. There's a video I think you linked to Bloomberg speaking about yeah. uh, his decision. And he's like, it was my decision alone to send in the police and clear the park. Yeah. And it's interesting in how he frames it as like this yeah. public safety thing. Like it yeah. was for their own yeah. good. Right. And like mm -hmm. you were on the ground. Uh, yeah. I want to hear more about your thoughts and like whether there's any validity to that at all. But so, even if you say that's yeah. true, um, 
like one it's like classic bloomberg right like this is your yeah. own good like you people you know i need to well this is i mean this is the broken windows policy this is uh rude giuliani's yeah. broken windows policy policy of that you know uh this ridiculous idea that sounded really good in the 90s that you know new york city was a complete you know like waste supposedly in new york city was a complete wasteland and you know crime was you know uh, whatever and the idea is that it all starts with a broken window and then you mm-hmm. know a broken window happens and then people think that they can break other windows and then they, they think they can spray paint and then then they think they can rape and murder um okay <laughs> never mind set aside the logic the logic train that you have to go down to think that the broken window policy is a thing other than just like a like oh, okay maybe that is like a general thing that might happen like oh if so, if you allow somebody to put a sticker on a mailbox like in new york city then other people will think they can do that Okay, I get that. I don't know how you drift down. You know, I mean, to me, that's like, oh well, pot is a, ent- a gateway uh, gateway drug to uh, to uh, crack cocaine. I mean, like, no, mm-hmm. it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, I mean, that's even a bad comparison because even that even that parallel isn't the same. But um, but the fact is that um, Occupy Wall Street uh, every single night, or at least you know when it got a little bit bad or whatever, because uh, they did cleanups, and that actually that night when they did the cleansing. Um, I actually did. Um, I actually did have to dig up the audio from it because I did BBC World Service because uh, they had seen my tweet about getting beat up and trampled everything. And um, there was a Guardian, weirdly a Guardian journalist who usually they actually were pretty they were pretty decent about it. But a Guardian journalist was talking about, well, there's trash piled up all around the park. And, you know, that's not necessarily he's not necessarily wrong on that. I'm going, well, you know what? It's trash pickup day. Uh, you go up to Macy's right now. At that time, which is actually 100% true, like because I actually ended up driving by Macy's and in the cab ride home. Um, and it's the only reason I knew that off, like specifically offhand. There was the, if you go to New York City on trash pickup night, there will be trash bags piled up like man, like five feet high. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way New York City is, because it's a it's it's a terribly organized city that hasn't <laughs> updated, updated the fact that there's, you know, nine million people living in the city and that maybe we should have a different system for trash pickup <laughs> like that. You know, modern cities that, you know, Hong Kong doesn't have that problem, you know. But anyway, um, but uh, the fact it was just like, no, that's ridiculous. There was actually there was a whole pile up of trash all around the park that was going to be picked up because that's literally for the last like two months that had that's what was being happened is that they basically zuccotti park had its own trash pickup which it did and they would just pick up the trash as it go along and but they did it before they canceled because they completely like earlier in the night they they shut down the whole area um basically after you know after business hours or whatever um well actually i think it was a weekend so i don't know if it would have been technically business hours anyway but but like at five or six or something like that, they shut down the area. And, um, and so like they shut down the area and there's no way to, for trash pickup to happen. So there was bags of organized trash there. It wasn't like, you know, some grocery bags, you know, tied up or whatever and thrown on the side or whatever they had cleaned up. I actually, I have photographs of them doing cleanup, um, before this happened, doing their own cleanup because they had been warned oh well you know it's unsanitary whatever it wasn't they did clean up they were using i don't know if they were using bleach but they were using clean you know literally cleaner like i could smell it and i again i have photographs of this happening and many other people have photographs of it happening too but it didn't matter and that's and that but that was the line was that it was somehow this you know unsafe conditions and everything like that and you know i mean if you were to work out the numbers on on like per person or whatever i mean there was a handful of incidents that that happened during Occupy Wall Street that were always 
always, you know, front page news when something happened during a couple months. But if you work out the numbers, it was a safer place than any street corner in New York City um, or any, you know, any Wall Street um, <laughs> room. Um, you know, there's less crime going on um, at, uh, at Occupy Wall Street than there was anywhere else in probably the city at that given time you know, including churches, but, um, they, there's a, you know, it, it was just a ridiculous process. And, you know, the people that, the people that elected Michael Bloomberg bought it, you know, link sign it, hook, line and sinker. Thank you. My God. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, and so it was just, you know, that was, but that was the entire thing, you know, I mean, like, you know, the daily news and the, and the New York post, you know, worked together to do it. And then the, then the New York times, did what they do, which is they show, they try to, you know, they have a, well, you know, a very balanced thing, but I mean, you go through the entire time. And I think there was like three front page stories, uh, in the New York times, uh, from Occupy Wall Street, you know, and that includes, I think one from Oakland when, uh, that one guy almost got murdered, uh, by a cop by shooting a, um, a gas canister at his head. And, you know, and so, you know, the, the Times didn't want to cover it. And then the New York Post and the Daily News did what they do uh, because they're tabloids and uh, have good reporters and good photographers. I'm friends with a bunch of them. But, you know, they do what they do with their headlines and, and scare tactics and things like that. And uh, shockingly enough, I think it was the New York Post that actually did uh, like a week or, week or so in when uh, a bunch of uh, young women were pepper sprayed on camera in the face in Union Square uh, during an event that they were having. Uh, in, a, in and they were in a um, in a um, a pen already that had been set up. You, if you ever if you ever if you ever see a protest in uh, a large protest in in New York City specifically, I, I think they've started using them in DC too. But they have this orange netting. Um, yeah. And uh, and basically, it looks like the orange construction stuff you kind of like see just separate. It's just plastic, you know, it's whatever. Um, but they'd wrap it around an area, and that's all those people that would be basically anybody who's in there. Press. Uh, bystanders, um, people just trying to go to Whole Foods, whatever, those people end up getting arrested in there and the cops didn't care. Um, they wouldn't separate out afterwards. But for some reason, one cop decided to start at point blank pepper spraying a bunch of people, bunch of people, obviously a bunch of photographers and a bunch of uh, a live streamer and everybody was there. And that was a cover front, uh, the photo of a woman like face down uh, with a cop above her um, was the front cover of the, um, I think it was the post, not that, I think it was the post. Um, and that's actually like, to me, I if remember, I remember just conversation around Occupy Wall Street going through the roof and then everyone nationally started talking about it as well. And But the story itself was very like, not exactly what it should have been, which is, oh my God, uh, our dear police officers just pepper sprayed, pepper sprayed a innocent young woman who was just yelling in a public place and then beat her. <laughs> like that wasn't yeah. the story. It was, you know, whatever, you know, whatever they made out, made it out to be, but it was just, uh, it was, it was kind of, um, you know, covering a lot of stories over the years that, you know, especially activism, protest movements and things like that. You see a lot of things that, and we're like, wait, no, I was physically there. I have photos. That's not what happened. You know, you read the story the next day or whatever. And so it just, it just ends up being a thing or whatever. But it was just like every single day, every single protest I ever covered, every single night I was, I spent, you know, until two o'clock in the morning there. Um, you'd read the paper, you'd any, almost any website that was covering it outside of weirdly RT actually did really great coverage of it. Um, that, that doesn't surprise and, me actually. Well, I mean, back it, it's then, in their interests, you know, like, you know, there's a oh, lot yeah. of good no, I mean, it's, reporting back, on, like, I mean, back then, I will say, back then, RT was 
they uh, there was a bunch of really good journalists that were working there just like early career journalists that worked there a bunch of them like uh lucy kavanoff or kavanoff i forget her last name but she's like NBC, she works at NBC in London now. Like she's a fantastic. I always remember her. Like if I'd watch her report and I'm like, that's, that's exactly what happened. Like, yeah. you'd be like, Oh, she did a really good. That's, that's what, that's what actually happened that night. Um, but you know, anybody else was, you know, you'd go and just like, it's, I, I don't know how you can look around and cover a news story and just literally get everything wrong on it. And, um, but you know, that, that's, that's what happens a lot. You know, I mean, that's uh, what happened at, you know, to, to a lot of extent that what happened, you know, there's been kind of a theme in my career of being somewhere and being like, wait, that's not what happened guys. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I made that, made that Bloomberg video is because I think that, you know, people forget it and people have this idea that it was a failed project and whatever, you know, I, I can tell you, uh, no one used the phrase 99% before, you know, I, Barack Obama was not talking about, uh, you know, uh, the separation of the rich and, and and the poor, the way that he did after Occupy Wall Street. You know, I mean, no one was talking about it that way. And Occupy Wall Street came along and then boom, now it is, now we have Bernie Sanders. You know, yeah. I, I think that, you know, the history books in, in 20 years, whatever, if we have history books, um, <laughs> uh, they're going to be written and there's just going to be a direct, a direct line, you know, goes from Occupy Wall Street to Bernie Sanders. And, uh, and if he wins the presidency, mm-hmm. then it'll be, I think we can we can all say that Occupy Wall Street was a massive success <laughs> because yeah. we finally have somebody whether or not Bernie will be a great good good or bad president you can decide that or we obviously we we'd have to we'd have to see but it's the fact that like we it is a movement that took 10 years you know when you look at most the the age and the arc of most uh you know most civil rights movements or or financial whatever movements it takes 30 40 years and things like that i mean the gay rights movement the civil rights movement everything like takes 30 40 years and like occupy wall street and that sort of thing i mean obviously on the shoulders of the civil rights movement on the shoulders of other activists did this and it's you know we're talking about nine years and we have a the basically the president of of Occupy Wall Street is, is the front runner. <laughs> he just won Nevada. He won New yeah. Hampshire. He actually won the 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 largest amount of votes in in Iowa. You know, <laughs> he's getting Chris Matthews to scream about beheadings. <laughs> so obviously, obviously they're scared. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. I remember actually, I was in high school during Occupy, and I wrote uh, for my local newspaper just like opinion pieces and i was critical of the movement uh not because i disagreed with like the ends necessarily but it was kind of hard to make out what those ends would be um and there there were not leaders there wasn't like a platform and you know the analysis i've seen is that the left was just so disorganized and kind of like inert going into occupy wall street like there was the anti-war movement but there was just like no viable left the anti-war movement evaporated um the once uh barack obama won um, I, it was the story, uh, I work again, I work for, uh, uh Greg Palast. We run a, a Palast investigative fund. It's a nonprofit. We had a list, uh, uh, up until 2008, we're working big stories, working on a film about, uh, voter suppression. Um, and in 2008, it was unbelievably massive. It was like millions of people were, their votes were suppressed. Um, probably the largest there would be until 2016, I would say. And uh, which is one of the reasons I'm like, I was shocked election night. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they, they let, and in, again, in quotes, let him win. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I was like mind blown, like both Greg, Greg and I were like, 
what the <laughs> like just because it was like oh my god the fix was in ages ago i mean voter id came around you know all these all this suppression caging caging votes came around but um one of the things that one of the things that happened is that the 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 and I'm, again in big quotes the left you know left of john mccain basically um Barack Obama was elected and anyone who questioned Greg wrote a piece about critical about uh, Larry Summers Mm -hmm. and uh, understandably, (laughs) I think that not only history, but also history when he had made that decision was correct. I mean, Larry Summers was an atrocious choice to pick after the financial collapse. One of the guys that created the financial collapse, you shouldn't pick him as your financial um, is uh, anywhere near your cabinet or anything. And uh, we lost um, like 40% of our list of, uh, of, of tens of thousands in 24 hours because they didn't want to hear it. No one wanted to hear anything. They had done their work. You know, and I and, and I'm reminded after, you know, at the Women's March, there's this somewhat, at least in my circle, like a, a somewhat famous photo of a protester uh, during the Women's March, the first one in 2017, holding a sign that says, if Hillary had won, we'd all be at brunch. Oh, my goodness. That's it's the so problem. Yeah, and that's yeah. the problem. I mean, literally in one sign, like, I feel bad for this poor woman because like she's I mean, she's not hated. But like that sign is just so emblematic of yeah. how the left and again, left not the active left, not anti-fascists, not, you know, people who, you know, have scars from Occupy Wall, not anything like that. But like, you know, the left, um, they they just want to go home, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's the difference between the left and the right is the, le- the left doesn't have any money, you know, that money just evaporates overnight when a victory happens, you know, the day after elections, no money goes into anything other than, you know, it goes back to, uh, you know, uh, the Humane Society and things like that. That's where people put their money, you know. And, um, you know, people give, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to Bernie Sanders, but they won't give any money to the actual causes that will help after his campaign goes away, which eventually his campaign will go away. And that's what we learned from we should have learned from Barack Obama is that once his campaign goes away, his movement is done. The movement with the whole point was to elect him. We should not expect politicians campaigns you know to continue on whatever it is whether it be healthcare or whatever we need to do that ourselves and you know that's i, I say that as a person who is at least a you know i'm i'm very open on my you know want for for uh, universal healthcare and or else you know because i think it's the only way that a uh, economy like ours can actually survive uh, or at least that our humans can survive as well but anyway yeah yeah um no i i I think uh, i agree with that and there's a good new republic piece about obama disbanding his organizing machine um kind of like after getting elected Mm -hmm. and a lot of people attribute this as like one of the key mistakes of of the obama presidency absolutely yeah there are millions of people excited ready to like hit the streets and and pressure lawmakers to yeah. help bring about like the change we can believe in and yeah i mean and that happens that, that doesn't happen just with democrats i mean the, one of my biggest criticisms uh used to be friends with ralph nader uh, and i say used to have a very long story and why <laughs> why i'm not friends with him anymore oh, wow. but um that's for another podcast but um one of the biggest problems that i had I was a huge Ralph Nader fan, um, and my nickname in college was Nader because um, there was a couple Zacks at my college. Again, um, but um, but the fact is that um, he he had a huge mo- he had a huge movement behind him, uh, like something that in the year two thousand and ninety nine, like you th- can kind of you have to go back to. You have to go back to the 60s and 70s before you think about hundreds of thousands of people organized 
for one cause and one idea. And, you know, Reagan, Reagan had that, you know, maybe a little bit like, you know, against against uh, the wars, his his actions in Latin America. But like it wasn't organized and it wasn't with the Internet when you had email and you had everything like that. And that's easy and cheap to literally just hit a button and click and it sends out to 100,000 people, you you know, protest movements beforehand. You had to send out 100,000 you know, physical pieces of mail, you had to have a budget. Now you didn't. And so Ralph Nader and, you know, to to also uh, also to an extent, the Green Party had this huge movement. And then the Green Party, once Nader became controversial, basically just shrunk and just hid. And we're like, it's not our fault, guys. It's not our fault. And Nader was out there arguing rightfully that it wasn't his fault. Um, a, people should be able to vote for whoever they damn well please in any state that they want to without fault. Um, if you don't believe that Al Gore was your candidate, which I didn't, um, I, I still to this day believe that Al Gore would have done almost all the same things uh, that, that George Bush was, again, almost um, all the same things. Um, there <laughs> was, been, you know, was again, important to extend, <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, after 9-11, I think that changes anything. And Al Gore has a very long history of being uh, a conservative uh, that I think people forget now that, you know, he has a documentary out, um, which he took SUVs and airplanes to <laughs> I know that's a conservative talking point but it's right um, but they 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 disappeared and they you know nothing came out of nothing really came out of the uh, um, the, the the Ralph Nader movement there and the, and the, the Green Party didn't expand in fact I think it shrunk um, and you know and Ralph didn't do anything with it you know and whether and I know for a fact because I put my name on at least one thing they had people's email addresses they had people's addresses they had a huge donor list and God only knows where the hell all that went. And it's just like, God, that would have been useful when the Patriot Act came along to, you know, throw out a name of list. And it's like, okay, the ACLU can do that, I guess. But, you know, the ACLU is a nonpartisan organization. It would have been good to have, you know, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's like one of the criticisms of th- the third parties in, in America, the Green Party yeah. in particular, is they kind of only organize around presidential elections, which. Mm-hmm. It's not really a plausible path to yeah, a third no. party win. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to uh, move on into some of your other work and some of the things you've covered. So uh, I was really uh, transfixed by your <laughs> photos from the Unite the Right rally um, in Charlottesville. Yep. And um, the first thing that really stuck out to me was like, you know, this has been covered quite a bit. And I think most people are pretty familiar with with what happened. But mm-hmm. uh, just like how people the white supremacists there, some of them are posing for, for the camera. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they're just proud to be there. And it yeah. seems like that's not not as common now. People are more like, you know, cover their face. No, no, no. No. I mean, the, la- the last event that I covered was a Patriot Front um, uh, march through uh, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. which literally me and a uh, fantastic journalist that you should talk to at some point, Ford Fisher, um, and I were the only two people that covered it. And until they saw, until the rest of the journalists saw our live streams and our photos from the event, I mean, they were like rushed in at the end. Um, but uh, they were all wearing masks, which again is illegal in in the state of uh, in the state of Virginia, which is where they came from. Literally walked across the bridge from uh, from Arlington, and then it's also illegal in D.C. Um, hmm. So, but for some reason, the police allowed them to do it. Uh, and again, I, wrote, I, I I write for my own blog at visu.news, v-i-s-u.news, where I wrote a whole story about this. But it's also been covered. Ford, you can watch Ford Fisher's live streams and things like that. Um, uh, but the the fact back then um, they were quite again they were quite proud of it um, because you know uh, the media still hadn't you know it was still before the 
I would, I don't even know about the day before because the day before the Tiki, uh, the Tiki torch March happened. Um, but like the week of, uh, it was a it was supposedly a protest about or a rally to save the statues and you know and uh, you know history and things like that. This is um, like Robert E. Lee in, in yeah. Charlottesville, right? Yeah, the Lee Park, which is where the center of it was. I mean, it's it's it was renamed, but you know that's what everyone called it still. Um, but uh, the fact that the fact that they hadn't understood yet, I guess what you know what anti-fascists, how, how well organized anti-fascists were, thank Lord. Um, and the fact that they had immediately been able to understand and organize behind, okay, photos are taken. These things, these people are here and we know this person's face and then we can go back down there and social media just goes, you know, I mean, like Sean King tweeted out a bunch of my photos, uh, from that day and a whole bunch of other people did as well. And, uh, I forget how quick it was. We had at least two or three people uh, found within the first like week or two uh, who they were, which is like there's it's not like there were name tags, anything like that. This is just thousands of people going, hey, I recognize that guy. I went to school with him or or whatever. You know, I mean, no one's using I can tell you, honestly, like um, not maybe somebody I'm sure people are out there using like some sort of sophisticated uh, face search or something like that. But it really is just communication. Like, yeah. who is this person? Do we recognize it? Oh, that person has a tattoo, that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately for, for somebody like me who covers these events and, and is very, very happy when uh, I post those photos and then somebody finds them out and then they get arrested. Like, you know, the, the four, at least four of the people, there's still two or three out there that haven't gotten prosecuted, but four of the people who uh, brutally, brutally uh nearly murdered um deandre harris in the parking garage uh in the police charlottesville police department's parking garage mind you yeah um and uh those four people are arrested in part because of my photos and also another journalist's uh uh video and you know and and not just because of that but because Thousands of activists, tens of thousands of people shared those photos and 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 videos, and and they were able to break down and who they were who they were, and uh, you know, and and thankfully, no thanks to the local police department. Um, as I tell the story a lot, um, you know, I taken those photos. I was very shaken because I've never I've never witnessed I've witnessed a lot of beatings in my life, um, and then but nothing anywhere on the scale of that, especially considering I you know as I was. As I was taking the photos, I turned to follow where DeAndre was running, and I see out of the corner of my eye that somebody was holding a handgun uh, next to my face and was tracking DeAndre into the garage. That guy still has not been prosecuted. I'm not quite sure, actually, if he – terrifyingly, I'm not quite sure if he actually committed a crime. I was thinking um, the same which, when I saw the photos. Yeah, it's, it's Virginia, state, um, right? unfortunately. Um, it's an open carry state, but it's like private, private. – there's there's a dozen like little things that – I'm sure that there's somewhere along the lines I think – how he could consider himself under some sort of threat, I don't know, unless his friends were the people. <laughs> but that's a whole different thing. Um, yeah. But uh, I immediately afterwards uh, took those photos and I walked out to a, um, a state trooper and um, tried to show him the photos, had no interest, told him what was in what just happened. And he just shrugged his shoulders at me. And so the one good thing that's happening now is that um, as much as it doesn't look like it um, a lot of times um, and despite the administration and everything like that talking about, you know, good people on both sides and and still the conservatives in, in the White House and, and everywhere else talking about how there's, you know, the anti-fascists or anti Antifa um, are the uh, the real the real threat, uh, which, again, by the way, uh, anyone listening, 
Antifa stands for anti-fascists. <laughs> if you are, and there are groups out there that are called anti-Antifa. And I'm like, so yeah <laughs> fascist yeah two negatives <laughs> i'm like that is, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and what was world war ii fought yeah over? yeah exactly yeah i mean i i got into a little bit of a problem where i'm going yeah the problem is is a lot of people came back from a lot of people came back from world war ii and then immediately joined up with the clan and beat people in the streets of selma so it's you know that that meme i get i get i get um but uh and i and i and i you know i'll let it go but it is it is one of those things where I'm going, I think we have to recognize that this is a problem actually like top to down in our top, top to bottom in our society, um, you know, and every part feeds into the other part. And, uh, um, but yeah, um, I don't know what else uh, you want me to say. <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah, it's just pretty incredible. And, you know, if you, so you're, you're a white guy, if you were covering <laughs> that rally the yeah. same way as a, a black photo journalist, like, oh. Yeah. Would you have felt safe? I mean, did you feel safe even presenting the way you do? I, you know, um, I don't know if I, if, if, uh, if it happened today, um, I don't, I know I wouldn't feel as safe. I mean, I, I, I get, I get constantly yelled at by uh, colleagues of mine because I left my helmet and my vest, vest in the car. And uh, we find, we find out later on that, you know, many people were armed. I mean, obviously it's Virginia and it's, you know, they're, they're right or whatever, but uh, many people were armed on uh, a handful of people on both sides were. And so the, my threat assessment of it was a complete idiot. Mm. <laughs> like, but that was, a, you know, again, I covered the, I covered the far right a lot, but, I'm, you know, when I'm talking about the far right, I'm talking about like, CPAC and things like that, you know, like the organized farther right, um, yeah. the, res the respectable right, you know, mm -hmm. people who wear suits and things like that, you know, I mean, like, like a Richard Spencer or something like that, you know, um, who is still a fascist and a Nazi, uh, but, you know, he wears a suit and, you know, um, I I don't know. I don't think he knows how to shoot a firearm, um, but <laughs> it would, it, maybe it would hurt his manicure or something. Um, but um, but the fact is that, like, no, I I I. Now I wouldn't, but then, no, I, I totally did. I mean, like, you know, there's, you go through uh, my portfolio of the photos and one of the first images you see me walking into the park is a huge guy, shirtless, shaved head with a massive swastika on his shoulder. And he's looking at me, you know, with, I, I, I'm, I'm always curious. I don't, I still don't remember today whether it was a threatening look or whether it's a posing look. And, and yeah. that was one of the things that a lot of them were posing, you know, a lot of them want their photo taken, you know, of this because this is their big show day. And, you know, and they, a lot of them didn't think or know about what would be, what would be the consequences because up until then there weren't no any consequences, you know, I mean, there, you know, people had marched in the streets. There's been, there had been, there's a continual stream of far right Nazi, fascist whatever you know whatever group has the the appropriate tag that would go along with them rallies and marches that happened in the city and and no real uh, in cities not in not necessarily just in charlottesville but in other cities across the south especially in the year lead up with with uh le leading up to donald with donald trump and everything like that when it really was heightened um and no consequences happen you know i mean if somebody did something specific then yeah they got arrested or whatever but you know the the charlottesville brought this to not just the you know not just the kind of the the small anti-fascist groups that that had known that were, were kind of working locally and things like that but like the national national idea you know like you know the fact that i was on uh, after charlottesville i was on msnbc and i was on ari melber's show talking about it is is unheard of because this is stuff had been happening for 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 months and, and years ahead of time um 
basically Barack Obama, you know, really was, again, no fault of Barack Obama. <laughs> that it's not his fault. He was black and, and terrified the hell out of, you know, um, racist white people. Um, but, you know, that was where, you know, that's what really where you had the rise of it. And then, you know, with Internet culture and Gamergate and everything like that, it kind of spawned out from there to bring out not just like, you know, the kind of the the old the old racists like the clan and you know kind of that into these new groups like identity europa and uh vanguard and things like that and like that have now morphed into patriot front patriot front and you know you have the proud boys now running around with roger you know like roger stone you know i mean quote unquote respectable or or you know, mainstream figures um, are now running around with uh, with fascists um, and we don't we still don't really talk about it. But, you know, now people are they recognize that, you know, yeah. they they at least, you know, the the people, general people are, are recognizing that Proud Boys are starting to show up at Bernie rallies and and ha- they, the fact that now the Bernie the Bernie supporters, I don't think the campaign officially has has said anything or done anything. Um, and I don't think I don't know if they should or would or other than. I mean, I don't think we have to. I don't know. Maybe Bernie has to come out and say I I disassociate myself with the Proud Boys because you know he have to he has to do that for every literally everything else. Like I was listening to your interview with Megan Day before, where it's just like Bernie has a long record on this. You know, if the number of people that said that a woman couldn't run or couldn't beat Donald Trump and whatever, anyway, but not to bring that up again. <laughs> That's, yeah, it finally faded from the news, but um, but the fact is that you know it. Uh, um, it's finally entered consciousness and, you know, and, you know, I, I know per, like personally, I'm, I'm on a handful of lists and it's, it's, it's uh, disheartening to know that uh, um, I, you know, now I, when I show up to these things that if somebody recognizes me or whatever, I've gotten called out like on, on, uh, well, Gab, when Gab was more of a thing, I gotten called out on Gab that I was in a town and I had a friend of mine be like, Hey, uh, so-and-so knows that you're in town now. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's fun. But, but yes, uh, to answer the second part of your question, I worked uh, worked with a uh, fantastic photojournalist named uh, Shay Horse, who's part of the J20, uh, the guys that got uh, arrested. Oh, wow. And Brula, I, I have a podcast you can listen to. I think I have an archive with, interview with him and talking talking with him about um, his experience on that day, uh, which I highly recommend. Um, but uh, he was with he was he was there with Charlottesville, and you know we 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 would joke around. We like basically like uh, because. Of, because I'm white, I get to go and do this. And then Shay covers the other thing. And, you know, it's like together, we kind of like work, work everything together and work out together. And, you know, he's able to talk to other people. I'm able to talk to other people. And, you know, which is one of those really important reasons why we need more diversity in journalism. (laughs) But, but yes, but if I, if I was a person of color, I, 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 probably still go in there but i don't think that i'd be i would have been as comfortable you know because i mean i i blend you know i blend yeah. really well <laughs> you know and, yeah i mean so, th- yeah. there's guys like beating somebody just 20 yeah. feet away from you simply because he's black and yeah yeah that's terrifying um yeah, yeah and the police uh were criticized a lot for their kind of lack of a role in charlottesville yeah um and there was a stand down <laughs> order so can you talk a little bit about what that is and yeah. you know how that so, differs? So they say that they, they still say that there's no stand down order. There's no thing, whatever uh, that, you know, this is one of my whether or not there was an official stand down order or not, uh, they stood down. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's very, very large amount of talk. If you search stand down order, Charlottesville, it's very talk about how there was not a stand down order and it's a conspiracy or whatever. And I'm like, well, they didn't do anything. 
So, and it was an organized not doing anything. It wasn't because there was about 17 different police associations and there's state troopers, uh, state uh, Virginia state police. Then there was troopers. Then there was a local Charlottesville police. There was, um, I, I try to remember what the number was. I don't know. There was at least like half a dozen uh, different um, uh, police groups working there. Um, and um, somehow all of them decided not to do anything. You know, I mean, there's there's a number of incidents, uh, incidents that happened. You see photos of it literally with police standing next to a gun that was going to be that was, you know, things things like that. Nothing happened. No one got it. You know, I mean, people got arrested, but no one got anything. Nothing happened. No one was protected. Um, The ambulances, I mean, with DeAndre Harris, the ambulance took um, 15 minutes to get to him, um, even though. I know for a fact that like I'm like within two minutes afterwards that the call was put out to it. And this is before this is before um, the, um, I, I have a kind of a rule of never mentioning his name. But uh, the guy, the Vanguard America, Vanguard America the, um, his uh, he ran he ran his car through through a crowd and murdered Heather Heyer and nearly murdered about a dozen other people. Um, this is before then. So it wasn't a. You know, it wasn't like there's a whole bunch of ambulances running around. They're just they just weren't there and they were being prevented from getting places because of police blockades and things like that, that certain parts of the cities were were blocked off. But the biggest the biggest thing that happened is is that all of this could have not all of this would have been not if the police had allowed if if you if you look at my photo, you look at any photos of, of the early on in, in uh, um, of the Unite the Right rally, they're they're all in the park. Um, and then if you see a wide shot, you can see the fact that everywhere behind them is completely open. And the fact that they, the police had shut down everything kind of behind, at least from my perspective, um, of, uh, of, of, of the park and all the anti-fascists and, and other activist groups and priests and nuns and, <laughs> and rabbis that were, that were there um, uh, protesting this, this racist rally were on the other side when the police decided to end the end the rally very very much early. In fact, earlier than I think it was even supposed to actually have started. Uh, they pushed everyone into the anti-fascists. They put they pushed the the fascists into the anti-fascists. Wow, physically like with violence and pepper spray. I've I have tons and tons of photographs of them doing it. And literally, I mean, no one feel bad for a single uh, single one of these guys, mind you, you know, members of the League of the South, members of, you know, any number of fascist and racist and Nazi groups. Um, but they were begging to be let out the other way because they knew that they were going to be literally run into a equal size, if not larger crowd of anti-fascists who were understandably a little angry at them. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so... And, you know, and both sides had shields of, of different kinds and, you know, and, you know, poles for whatever. And um, but, you know, one side was there to um, protect the, their city against racist, racists and fascists that were planning to march in their city. And the other side are a bunch of out of so many of them were at least out of town, uh, racists and fascists and Nazis. And so, um you know, the def- it was defensive. It wasn't off. Both sides weren't offensive, which is always the argument that, you know, a lot of in mainstream media talk about is it's like, well, you know, the anti-fascists are just as bad as the, the fascists, which is kind of not a way that they would phrase it, obviously. But um, but the fact is that, you know, when if you if you to me, I have kind of a rule like the, you know, punching Richard Spencer in the face. I mean, like, well, he's a fascist Nazi. You that's defense, you know, especially if you're not a 
um, straight white um, <laughs> cisgendered man, a white man, like it's a defense against your your life um, if you're going to do that. But um, you know that's that's a controversial take within journalism. But um, but yeah, so I mean, the 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 police are the ones that really should be have never been and should be held accountable for everything that happened after about ten forty five um, on on uh, on that day, and and even the night before when a bunch of stuff happened as well um, to really blow over and light a bunch of stuff. Hundreds of people marched with a tiki torch through through uh, uh, the uh, the the campus, which is didn't have a permit they, and the police just allowed them to do it. And uh, they allowed them to walk away. And they, in fact, um, hassled members of the media who were trying and and, of course, activists who, who, were, who were there as well. Um, so it is it, that Charlottesville comes down to a complete failure of the police department to not only recognize the threat, but to also listen, mind you, like you can read and there's many other articles out there. I think I've written some uh, talking about how the um um, not even actually, I mean, like not even organized anti-fascists really at the, at, even at that point, I don't even know if they would have called themselves that at that, at that point, but like just local citizenry going, Hey, we're hearing on Facebook and we're hearing on social media and we're hearing on, you know, telegram and all these different sites, uh, that they're planning to commit violence when they come into this town. Um, can you please like at least deal with this? Like at some level and the police and the police and the FBI, everyone just ignored them. Um, and that was why it was able to happen. I mean, literally a month, a uh, month or two later, um, there was a rally in um, Shelbyville and Murphy's, uh, Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro. Uh, but Shelbyville is where, like, it actually happened. Murfreesboro never really happened. But uh, the the League of the South, many I recognized almost half the faces that were at this this smaller rally that happened in in, in Shelbyville. They were able to show up with. Uh, uh, you know, shields, they were able to show up with uh, kind of anything that they wanted to show up with. And the act, the activists just literally not even, I wouldn't even say anti-fascist. I mean, I think they were anti-fascist clearly, but it's just literally like kids and their mom being like, oh my God, people, Nazis are coming into my hometown. This is insane. Uh, and the police are allowing it to just happen in an organized, you know, in such an organized way. It's, it's shocking. They, you were, you, I couldn't bring in a lens case into the side of the, the anti, the anti-Nazi side of the rally, but they could walk in, the Nazis could walk in with, uh, with heavy shields and helmets and batons and whatever the hell else they wanted to kind of carry. And, and it's just, and it was just like every single time I see this experience, I go, I can't, I can't believe that the, you know, I, the history of the police forcing in America, there's been many fine books written about it uh, that kind of, you know, say that, yes, it was written, it was, you know, police in America was started because of basically to stop slaves from having any sort of freedom. And it, I don't know how much it's changed. <laughs> and then, and then unfortunately, uh, that unfortunately is, you know, anyone that wears the, the, uh, anyone that you wears the police uniform, it doesn't, it, it's, it's shockingly not just a, a white cop thing. Um, they, they kind of go along the line with it and it's, it's just depressing. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, just the protection that there's kind of yeah. this idea that like everyone has a right to protest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, protests can edge into like hate speech and, and acts of violence yeah. and like inciting violence is uh, a crime and i think that's like a pretty clear line i'm i'm pretty 
uh, pro free speech across the board, but you know, you don't necessarily get a platform. And the thing you covered recently in DC, mm-hmm. um, the white supremacists were able to get access to the Capitol, right? And and nobody else is allowed in. The Capitol lawn. Um, yeah. I mean, not just the Capitol. I mean, like you're able to, you know, during normal, especially on weekends and things like that, when, you know, Senate or Congress isn't in session. So there's not really like the, the high level of security that's needed around there. Um, but the idea that uh, I personally, maybe it happened. I'm not, I don't live in D.C., but I have covered probably like 200 protest events over the last uh, 15 years or so um, in uh, in and around D.C. Um, or at least, I mean, not in around, around D.C., but specifically in the Capitol. And I've never seen a rally allowed on the front lawn of the of the Capitol. I mean, there um, I covered a uh, the fire drill. Um, Fire Drill Fridays that a um, uh, bunch of uh, um, Hollywood actors, uh, but uh, Jane Fonda, I was mm-hmm. trying to remember her name. Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix but, as well. Like yeah, Martin Martin Phoenix. I covered that. Um, yeah. And um, I not only I was threatened with arrest if I stayed up there, but I mean, they arrested Martin Sheen. They arrested Joaquin Phoenix. They arrested and they arrested 100 other people because they were on the it was on the others other side of the Capitol. But they had gone up on the steps there. The the. Um, I mean, I don't know what every security protocol is for every step, but they the police allowed them to come up on the lawn and then closed, um, closed the gates. Um, mind you, this is on the Capitol side. I mean, you can see on my photos if you go if you go to visu.news or you just search search for the rally. It's either my photos or um, our, um, um, uh, Ford Fisher's video. And but it's the side of the Capitol that faces the uh, Washington Monument. Um, so it looks out on the lawn and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like I, it's, it's basically in the air. It's the same area that when presidents are inaugurated, it's where they stand. Um, yeah. And which to me now that I actually put that together is even more kind of significant, but they allowed them to have a rally there for like five, you know, it was like five, 10 minutes and do their, their uh, speeches and, and film. The biggest thing is that they were filming, their videos and uh, they all had a bunch of them had GoPros and they had uh, selfie cameras and that sort of thing. And they had a couple other people had cameras. And so they were all using, basically this was a ad for Patriot front, um, which is a, again, a fascist group that uh, uh, basically evolved from Vanguard, which was uh, at, um, which was at Charlottesville um, and committed a considerable amount of violence in Charlottesville. The, the, one of the main, main people, one of the founders of that, moved over and started and started this once uh, Vanguard kind of uh, dissolved after after Charlottesville. And um, and it's it's so basically it's the same group It has mo- ma- many of the same principles. Um, you can search the Patriot Front on uh, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. They have a good they have a good breakdown of who they are. And but they're they're a hate group. They're an admitted um, Fort Fisher actually has an interview because a lot of people have been arguing that they're not a fascist group uh, that or at least it's not a fascist group. Fort Fisher actually has an interview with the guy that founded Patriot Front saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a fascist. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not really much argument here. Like, no, they, they're they a fascist group. This is not, it's like being like, well, you know, the, uh, you know, the American, uh, American socialist, uh, <laughs> national socialist uh, group is not, is not Nazis. I'm like, well, they wear swastikas and they call themselves Nazis. So they're Nazis. I'm sorry, yeah. but um, they're not neo-Nazis. They're Nazis. I'm sorry. I, I, I actually hate that term. neo nazis They're just Nazis. They're the same Nazis as before. There's George Lincoln Rockwell provided a little bit of a skip in between and, and, uh, but it's the same Nazis, um, you know, Maybe they, you know, maybe they're a little bit different on some of their policy goals. They're probably against, you know, some any sort of social 
actual socialized anything um but uh, uh but yeah so they they allowed him to go there and then they they marched him out and protected them from um not that they're the anti-fascist groups made a uh a, a, made it very very clear and very loud on 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 social media that they didn't want any basically they didn't want large pro, large rallies to show up and i think that had half half to do with the fact that they didn't have um, the long enough notice to pull together enough people to really counter 150 people and police. <laughs> um, and, um, and also they just didn't want to give it the kind of the attention that, a uh, you know, a anti-fascist fascist counter would, would end up, uh, garnering. And, uh, and so they ended up being able to march all the way around the city. They ended up going into a parking lot, uh, underground parking garage in, um, uh, in a Walmart parking lot in a, uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying, sorry, I'm trying to remember what the name of the uh, uh, section of town is, but um, it's a heavily black area in, in Washington, DC. I don't know if that was a point or not, uh, or whether it was just a coincidence of where they could park a large number of white um, uh, you know, uh, passenger vans that they had, that they had rented. Um, and, but they were able to do that. They parked them down there. The police blocked off the entire area. They didn't allow any, uh, anyone into the garage and barely allowed anyone actually into the Walmart at the point too. Um, which is always a little amazing that they just ruin everything for <laughs> ruin everything for the local, local community as well while they're there, uh, with the police help. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, just like basically just, we had to stand outside there and, you know, and take photos of when they came out and no one was allowed, but the police into the garage and they were directing them, had them go out the safe, you know, safe way they wanted. And, you know, and I'm sure that there's, there's people that want to argue that, um, you know, that's what the police's role is, is that to, whether it be a anti-fascist or whether it be a fascist or whether it be a woman's march or whatever is to make sure that basically shit doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, is that having covered about a th- <laughs> about 500, um, you know, lefty protests over the years, I've never seen that. I've never seen um, even at like, even at uh, the, uh, the, the time that Greta Thunberg came well, in climate and, march, yeah, and climate march in, in New York, mm-hmm. uh, like even then I didn't see that. They, that's not what they did. They yeah. were quite aggressive and quite, I mean, that's obviously New York City Police Department versus D.C. police, but they're becoming, Metro Police is becoming worse and worse in my in my opinion in the way that they're dealing with uh, dealing with protests and the way that they deal with, uh, you know, I mean, I had covered a, um, uh, a uh, July 4th when Trump had his big hula blah <laughs> um, uh, for himself. It wasn't really a rally, but the Proud Boys showed up to uh, counter protest a or or to protect the flag that a um, um, God, I'm blanking on the name of the group, uh, but uh, a, a group of people that uh, kind of like burn American flags as part of a protest. They were going to, you know, protect the flag. Um, and so they showed up and, you know, and basically uh, committed a massive amount <laughs> of violence against against these people who were just, you know, had a I think they had a permit and everything like that. I mean, so like they had they had a rally and they were going to do it. It was a small group of uh, of uh, revolution uh, Revcom. It was a revolutionary communist. Oh, yes. Um, I, showed, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and it was a, not just a group of them. It was like kind of a partition of them as well. But um, but yeah, but they had that. And then, you know, there was a big standoff in front of the, the White House. They arrested a bunch of uh of the uh, Revcom people and then some people who were having problems with Proud Boys there and just let the Proud Boys go. And then they gave the Proud Boys a escorted march basically around the city 
um, like again, again, Ford and Ford and I were there marching along <laughs> with them and kind of just being perplexed, being like, I've never seen this before. But they would stop along the way and the cops would give them directions to where they where they wanted to go. Like they had, the, the Proud Boys actually asked the local police, uh, asked the Metro Police um, where they should go. And then the cops were like, oh, you can go anywhere you want to go. And and, you know, and Ford uh, Ford got a video of uh, the. The one proud boy going along and uh, giving fist bumps to the cops as he walked by, which oh, is that video. And uh, um, uh, another guy that works with uh, with Ford um, uh, got got some photos and video that went viral with that too. And uh, and yeah, nothing nothing came out of that again. Um, that was investigated internally, I guess, uh, based on uh, news to shares uh, video and. And everything like that, and and nothing came out of it because the police, of course, shockingly found that they did nothing wrong. Um, <laughs> we investigated ourselves, and found, but um, but yes, I mean it's it's been a weird because I, I I go in the two cities that I basically cover events in is New York City and and DC, and I'd always you know. I knew how the New York City police were going to act and, you know, it's whatever. It's part of the job is you figuring out how to basically get around the police trying to restrict you working as a journalist. And um, and then but the D.C. police was always because D.C. is such a larger open area. Um, D.C. kind of police realized that you can't cordon people off and keep people restricted the way you can in New York just because New York is so much tighter space and streets and and avenues and things like that. And uh, and just constant traffic. But I mean, like you have a whole protest and if you go down to D.C. on a on a Saturday afternoon, there's just all large open spaces, you know, nothing's going on. So you can have like, you know, 10,000 people show up to a rally and it's not like a really big deal. You have 5,000, you have 1,000 people show up to a rally in New York City. I almost promise that people are going to end up getting arrested because just there's no space to to yeah. do it to like rally and um and so but there's been a dramatic change in my opinion um over the past couple of years of how the police especially under Trump um and I don't know if it's had was happening before and I just didn't notice it as much but under Trump it has been an extreme difference on the way that they um police protests and uh, and also especially deal with the media um and uh and so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 disturbing. I, I I've seen it across other uh, other parts of the country as well. Not, but you know, I mean, it's, I don't cover you know I don't cover a protest in Shelbyville, uh, Tennessee every every month. So I I can't tell whether this is like a one time thing and this is the way they decided to deal with police or not. But I mean, you know, I don't know. We just had a we had ten thousand people heavily heavily armed in in full body in full kit show up in uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and. Uh, police just allowed them free reign of the city <laughs> so <Yeah>. um <laughs> i don't I, know uh, a friend of the pod you mentioned the j20 protests yeah and uh, a friend of the pod vanessa ab wrote a good article in current affairs about that but mm-hmm. the kind of long short of it as i'm sure you're aware is that uh a bunch of protesters on the day of trump's inauguration were arrested and kind of the book was thrown at them they were charged with like and lots of journal- and, and journalists as well yeah like several journalists yeah, the shay was uh say was there as a journalist yeah and, yeah and if they had been found guilty of the charges they would have some of the, some of them would have spent years in prison oh yeah they, um, they were charged with rioting i mean the so i mean like they in writing during <laughs> especially in a heightened security thing like that i mean it was it was nuts the police response i mean uh you know again i shay is i think told the story a couple different places 
Um, but uh, like the uh, long and short of it is that, like they took him on basically a, a, a rough ride, um, which is something the police do um, often. It was they, um, I feel bad. I'm blanking on the, the, the man's name. Freddie Gray. Yes. Yeah. They took him on a rough ride. So, I mean, obviously not to that extent where you're coughed often and things like that. And like they took him on a, a worse ride than, than that. But, uh, but uh, you know, took him on a ride around the city. He was, he was basically disappeared. I mean, like I remember seeing him in the morning and then he just was gone and no one knew where he was um, because we, we almost always would show up um, to protest together and just kind of, you know, whether it be like share costs and rooms and things like that. And so, but like, we all just didn't know where he went for, it was, it was like 48 hours or something. And uh, they had him, they put him to like three different black sites where they um, did a full search on him in these three different spots. And then like, it was freezing too. I mean, like, so they, they tortured him. Um, I mean, in any other, if this was, if this was in a Latin American country and this happened to a journalist or something like that, we'd be, you know, doctors, uh, you know, or doctors with reporters, uh, uh, reporters with, uh, uh, you know, like groups, ACLU, all these groups would be losing their collective minds. But I mean, ACLU is, is working with him and other things still, uh, at least I've been caught up with him lately about it. But, um, so I mean like the ACLU did, did, has done their job, but, um, but I mean like, you know, the collective media would lose their mind. He would have been in the front, he would have been on every, you know, news story and decrying, you know, asking for an apology from, from the government of wherever this happened. But, uh, no, not, not if it happens in, uh, the, uh, Washington DC, uh, Metro area, I guess. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, that was a very scary omen, uh, yeah. for how things were going to be under Trump. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing this increasing erosion of, Rule of law is, it's hard to claim that it's ever been existing in the United States, at least for people with wealth and power. Um, But the outright just like coordination between police and and prosecutors and politicians is is very scary. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's the biggest worry. I mean, it's, it's always been really bad, but um, you know, in, in so much, as long as you usually it used to be that you, if you got attention and things like that, you could, you could fix these problems. And, but there, the problem is, is it used to be a, at least seemed like it was, I mean, again, you know, I mean, I think one of the, one of the, you know, after Ferguson and, and things like that, you know, we all started paying attention a lot more and the media, the, the general media uh, definitely started paying attention if there was a, a video and also a lot, you know, uh, everybody has cell phone cameras and things like that. I don't think that there's been a massive police escalation and violence against people of color. Um, I think it's always been that way. It's just that now people are starting to record it. Um, and we have apps that save it and put it up in the cloud immediately. And like the ACLU has an app for that. And, uh, and we have journalists who are keeping eyes out on it and know that now, like if I, you know, if if I end up getting a photo of a police officer or, or someone, you know, attacking a uh, attacking a person of color or whatever, I know that story is going to become a thing. And I mean, I, I've always filed those photos, but I feel like now those photos are getting photos and videos are are getting actual national attention. It's no longer just oh, this random cop is a really bad cop, and you got to know to stay away from him. And it's like no, now like those are national news stories, and and so obviously the media has changed over the last you know. I would say, you know, before before Ferguson, but like dramatically under, after Ferguson is that everyone's realized that people, even the like for-profit media has realized that 
these this means clicks and this means that we'll we'll you know people will get outraged and we'll you know and we'll make money off of it so at least we'll cover it now you know whether or not they're covering it well or not is a different story and whether they're still running the mugshot of the young black kid that got shot by the cops and and running the you know the very nice photo of the or not even mentioning the cop's name because you know it's for his protection um mm-hmm. so which is what they continually do and it's just like you know but um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, it, it's, I'm happy to see the change. I don't think it's happening quick enough. And I, and I'm, and I'm very, very much assuming, you know, like we were talking about before with the, with the left, um, you know, whenever, when Barack Obama won and they kind of just like went away. Um, and mind you, the, the people that were always going to be there were, were stuck around. There's still a lot, there was a lot of fantastic activists and organizers and people that stuck around. Uh, but you know, the general like day-to-day people that, that organized around, um, you know, organized organized around, uh, you know, Bush's atrocities that he committed, um, and crimes. You know, kind of just were like, okay, well, Barack Obama, you know, we'll just go back to normal. And you know, and that's to me, that's the that's the big thing with uh, that's that that's the appeal of Joe Biden is that, and that's the appeal of. I don't know, but I don't know about as much Bloomberg, but, you know, with uh, Colbature or, you know, something like that is the fact that, okay, well, things will just go back to normal when I didn't have to care about these things. Um, And that's, that's brunch. you know, yeah, so we can have brunch. We can, we can, we can, we don't have to worry about the big orange man tweeting, um, which I hate, I hate those phrases, but um, you know, like the bit, yes, the tweets you should be worried about. It's like, it's the kids in fucking cages that you should be caring about. But, you know, the fact that we have not, seen a large 50,000 person movement like the fact that the women's march you know actually that's 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 bad against the organizers of the women's march but the people that went to those women's marches and everything like that the men and women and 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 everybody haven't taken taken planes down to uh down to the border to you know do huge protests in front of the is is to me disgusting i've been down there a couple times and and the fact that the activism is there it's it's all local it's 100 percent local but you know you have thousands of people showing up to all these other things they'll, they'll take a day trip to go go do a nice little environmental protest in in uh you know and see the sites in new york city or in washington dc but no one's going down to mcallen and uh and uh, going to the border and covering that, which is, you know, I don't know. And maybe I'm expecting, maybe I think too much of whatever, but it's, uh, it's, no, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's tough. I, I participated in uh, the never again actions in yep. across the country. It, uh, I was at the first one at Elizabeth, New Jersey, protesting an ICE facility. Um, yep. I was a member of the team that got arrested there. And oh. there, there were quite a few that happened, I think like over 40 across the past summer. Um, yep. And that was, you know, I haven't seen much news <laughs> about yeah. uh, the kids in cages, the family separation. And, and you know, I, I can't honestly say how much things have changed because it's just not something I've been following up on myself and caught up in the horse you race. You just had another person die in ICE custody. I mean, Jesus. you know, so, I mean, and mind you, like I'm I'm covering and, you know, this is one of the problem, you know, one of the problems of uh, of, uh, you know, every four years, all of the media's attention goes to this. And I I hope that you know. I mean, Bernie Bernie does it. Liz Warren does it. Um, uses their attention. Uses the media attention to grat. You know, to like basically, we're going to go somewhere and show people around and do it. Or just like you know, just like Bobby Kennedy did back in the '60s and took the press on a tour of the poverty in America. 
and you know and met with uh, Chavez, uh, Cesar Chavez and uh, um, but I you know the fact that this isn't a constant thing I mean I, I I'm I'm continually disgusted with the the way that the 24 hour news cycle happens I mean you just have so much bantering about nothingness and um, and a tweet or whatever it's like I, I I still stand by you cover the tweets they're important they're presidential statements if if any president would ever in the future or in the past talk the way that Trump does on a normal basis on a public platform, you fucking cover that <laughs> because yeah. it's important. Do you spend the next three panels of the next three shows talking about it? No, you don't. You cover it. And then you guess you can do a news hit if anything updates or whatever. But the fact that it, it's it's evolved from, you know, back when 20, when I like I remember my earliest time of remember watching the Iraq war, uh, the first Iraq war, uh, or at least our first Iraq war. Um, and on CNN is just like they'd cover it and there'd be new evolving stories or whatever. But the problem is, is that now you have all uh, like on MSNBC in particular, you have all these different shows with different hosts. So Ari will cover the same thing that Chris Hayes is covering and then Chris Matthews. And I'm like, and it just be often it'll be the same people on. And so you're not you're not learning anything at all. And I when I work, I, you know, mostly editing photos or doing research or whatever. I need something on background. So that's usually what's on in the background because I hate myself. And uh, <laughs> but but also because, you know, if something happens, you know, you want to know. But on the other hand, you know, like I'm on Twitter constantly and I hear breaking news happens and it takes 25 minutes for them to, to cut away from a important, you know, tweet that Donald Trump has been talking about in their panel. Um, so I don't know. But, you know, everybody, everybody hates the 24 hour news. That's not that's nothing. That's nothing new or special. But it's it's just uh, it's it's been sad to see so many, in, in my opinion, like good journalists and things like that kind of get eaten up by it. Like and Chris Hayes doing Chris Hayes doing a live TV show with uh, with a studio audience. What what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like I just don't understand. It's just some of those things where like I know a lot of these reporters, especially they go hang and and you talk to you know you see them along the campaign trail and things like that. And it's like you know what one of the people I respect very the most is Dave Weigel because he hates fucking going to shows. And you can <laughs> you see him on TV, you can see that he does he's not happy about it. Then he'll go on for certain people to talk about certain things um, because he's a good journalist. But it's it's always. Uh, <laughs> It's it's just funny watching some of it. It's just like, oh man, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. So I guess in the spirit of stepping back, I, I yep. want to ask you. You've been covering white supremacy, white nationalist movement for mm-hmm. for quite a while, and I guess like I don't know how to situate the the threat of this, right? So I think like obviously, yeah. uh, white supremacy is one of the most dangerous ideas in history, uh, with like one of the highest body counts um, in the United States and. Europe. Um, and it's just clearly these ideas are really, really dangerous uh, when yep. they're in the hands of people that control state power in particular. Um, by the same token, the absolute number of people like killed by white supremacists is, is like, obviously it should be no, nobody, but there mm-hmm. are other, you know, more people die from like car accidents by like many, many times. And like, there's so many different issues you could be focusing on people dying from lack of healthcare, um, all these things. And it's like, where, what threat do you see uh, white supremacy having in, in 21st, 2020 uh, America? So, um, you know, obviously, yes. Um, you, if you follow Gren Greenwald or Mike Tracy on Twitter, you hear them constantly popping up and going, oh, you, all you journalists who cover white nationalism are overblowing the threat or whatever. Okay. Yes. Um, 
you know, one of the things that I, I, I think that a journalist's job is, or or especially researchers who you know work, uh, research activists, whatever that that work in the field, their job is to yell and scream about when they find out something about this issue and make sure everyone's paying attention because it is di- insanely difficult to break through. I mean, like no other than Charlottesville, like these this shit doesn't get covered in in the daily in the news the daily beast bro- breaks the daily uh, the uh, the daily beast huffington post um you know uh, there's uh, angry uh, was it uh, um angry white men um dot com is uh, i think uh they cover um they cover these things every single day and there's almost every week there's a or every not every week but every couple of days there's a huge breaking story about how and yet another white nationalist was uh, was uh, arrested because he was just about to uh, plan a large shooting at a ra- at this at this rally or dr- drives his car through through protests or whatever. But it doesn't break through into the national news. It doesn't break through to it takes something like the base being arrested and this sweeping FBI investigation tied into the fact that, you know, there was a journalist that would had um, kind of um, infiltrated that had not kind of, but infiltrated his way into the, into the group. Um, never mind the fact that also, by the way, one of the reasons they find out a lot of, a lot of the shit about the base is that there was a bunch of anti-fascists that were integrated. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a joke that we were like, there's actually only like three guys in the base and everybody else was, was FBI or whatever. But, <laughs> but one of the problems is, is that these guys were planning, these guys were planning to bring guns like everyone else did down to Richmond, pick up a sniper's position and just start firing off rounds, which would have then started a fucking bloodbath in in there i would have been murdered <laughs> like there, there all my you know friends that were down there that were covering it along with me would have been would have been shot at or uh, more than likely shot at because people will just react and you have a bunch of people who are you know cosplaying um action figures in in this scene and they all want to have that moment i mean there's guys that had like they're you know guys that had clips in the round guys talking about i talked to a guy the night before um, the rally where he's talking, we asked him, I'm like, well, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Like when 10,000 people are in the Capitol, and he's like, well, one of two things are going to happen. Nothing happens or Governor Northrum is hung in front of the state Capitol. We're like, what? <laughs> like that, that this guy is a member. This guy was a was a member of the armed forces. So, I mean, like this is not just this is not just some random like random dude on a blog, you know, this isn't like an Alex Jones, just I say, put in quotes, just an Alex Jones listener. We've had enough Alex Jones listeners that have, uh, you know, shot up uh, places all over the country. Um, so it's not, there's no just behind that, but it's not just some, you know, in the, you know, lone wolf loon. These guys are well organized, um, you know, certainly better organized than, you know, a lot of the, a lot better organized and better funded than a lot of the, uh, the left is able to be um, because, we're also, you know, the left, I'm saying we, but uh, the, the la- you know, anti-fascist, which I consider myself an anti-fascist journalist, um, uh, which I think anybody who's a journalist should consider themselves an anti-fascist. But that's, you know, a, weirdly a controversial take occasionally. Um, but the fact that, you know, they they have the, also the fact that they have guns <laughs> and they have large numbers of them. They have large munitions. They're trained for this and they're trained, you know, they constantly joke around. They joke supposedly at least uh, about the uh, boogaloo, which is, you know, civil war two electric boogaloo. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, no, I, I hate that. That used to be a phrase of mine from, from Kevin Smith. We are like, Ooh, yeah. boogaloo. and now I can't use it without crying. Um, oh, <laughs> not really crying, but, but it's, you know, it's, uh, 
it's the fact that we were very close if uh if uh if they didn't were if they weren't able to grab uh everyone uh in the base that they did when they did then we could have had a mass shooting that would have made you know that would have made Las Vegas seem like nothing you know and because and it would have been no it, all it would have taken was one round you know to start something you know one cop getting shot and then response happens or whatever and you know you have a bunch of you have a very very large number of responsible gun owners that were there but you also have a lot of guys that really really wanted to try their guns and they all had them in so many of them had them in prone position ready to you know ready to go and you're like you're walking around a crowd with a bunch of you know supposedly this should be the safest place on the planet according according to the nra um and you know this is this this almost could have been one of you know America's greatest massacres, and it all would have been accidental. It would have, yeah. and in in so much as the guy that they were they should have been targeting at would have been high up in a building, and no one would have known because you know you would have found out. We'd have been able to. I don't. God knows how if they would have been able to find out. Because I mean, how would you find out that you know the trajectory of the first shot was from a high? I mean, it would have been insane. It would have never. It would have just been oh the accident happened and then everyone went off because I mean, you know, there's enough gut, enough of the guys out there that probably had their safeties off and, you know, and things like that. I mean, you've got 10,000 people. All it takes is three guys, you know, having an itchy trigger finger and then, and then it goes, you know? And so, yeah, um, that's, you know, to me, that's one of the, one of the biggest reasons is that, you know, thank we're, just, we're unbelievably lucky that we haven't had a worse situation. Um, but you know, I mean, one of the, one of the bigger problems too, is that only now are we starting to realize that all these small, um, all these small track, I mean, there's no small tragedy, but like these smaller, um, mass shootings, which is usually a husband, uh, you know, shoots his wife and his kids, maybe a cop and maybe a neighbor and then shoots himself that a lot of these are people who are on the far right. Um, and so we're slowly now realizing because it used to be that that point, the fact that they had, you know, a Confederate flag and some swastikas and, and maybe some other, you know, insignias and stuff like that. Police literally didn't know that. I mean, I've talked, I've talked to cops, I've talked to people, you know, within, within the, uh, in the law enforcement side. And I was just like, they're learning, they're learning, they're catching up very, very slowly because they don't have the money and they don't have the resources and they don't have the time um, and they don't have anything. So like you have local police officers who just have no idea what any of this stuff means. And so it's just, it's, you know, in quotes, just another, you know, uh, shooting that just happens. A guy with a gun, just, you know, whatever. And so it's not signed off as, as a, um, you know, as a white extremist event. Um, And so, you know, that to me is one of the biggest things that um, is very, very slowly changing because um, uh, people like uh, Emily G on Twitter, Emily Gronowski, um, who was in Charlottesville, um, and she um, has um, started uh, two different activist groups uh, or two different uh, websites, like research websites that track uh, uh, that track these things and track lawsuits. Uh, First Vigil is one. Um, and uh, the other one, I'm blanking on the name, but um, basically it goes into the people's homes of like white nationalists who thing, uh, who it goes into their like bedrooms and you get to see like police photos. Basically, she's basically just pulling stuff from uh, um, from uh, the, the, the police files. And 
and you get to see like what these people actually live like and you get to start actually realizing them and like, oh, so that flat, you know, if they have these books, you know, um, then there's a 5% greater chance. You know, I mean, these are the calculations that we all kind of like, you know, anyone who kind of researches this at all. I'm very much on the light fringes side. I go and cover these things. I don't live my life researching the way that a lot of really amazing people do for for no money and for no, no specifically no attention. Um, and but they, you know, you can you can see be like, oh, well, they had copies of this books. So they had this flag. They had a poster from this. And, you know, you can start tying things together. These are things that police will never know. And it's not, you know, it's not necessarily something that they would unless we start forcing them to and start kind of going. This is something these lone wolves are never lone wolves. They're on websites. They're talking to other people. They're organizing with other people. Um, almost there's. You can go through almost every single one of these uh, things that uh, white extremist events that have uh, uh, killings have happened or near killings um, that have happened over the last couple of years. And even, you know, back when they still called them lone wolves and we're like, no, this guy has a long track record of talking to people on the Internet, organizing, whether it be 4chan, 8chan, Stormfront, um, any of the any of these, you know, on Telegram channels and and that they end up. They're they're with other people, and they wouldn't they wouldn't have gotten where they they were without the, those other people. So they're not lone wolves. And so every single time, for every one incident that we have, there's another five thousand people that got that person to get where they were. You know, the mm-hmm. guy the guy down in the guy down in New Zealand. You know, I mean, he track. You know, you read you can find his manifesto. Um, and, you know, God forbid if you're up for that, I've, I've read parts of it, but if you're up for that, read the manifesto and you see where he gets, where he gets his conspiracy theories and his madness from. And they're, they're not always direct Nazis. You know, I mean, they're people, they're people who have YouTube channels that are still allowed on YouTube. They're Alex Jones, who still has a website and still gets, you know, thousands of dollars in donations and still is able to, you know, do, um, and, and so it's, to me, it the, one of the bigger things is though that you know what we start having is that we have um, I'm trying to remember the number. I think it's at least a do, at least more than at least more than a dozen um, people who are within the realm of white nationalism who are running for office. You have Laura Loomer running for office down in Florida, and there's a really good chance she's going to win her win the primary. <laughs> And so you have these people and they, they, they leak into government. I mean, with Stephen Miller is a top advisor. Stephen Miller is a white nationalist. You know, there's no, there's no other documentation. There's no other lie about that. He tracks in, he, he works and, and researches. He does everything in white nationalism. He's the reason that we have, he's at least one of the reasons we we have uh, children in fucking cages. And so like the idea that this isn't a bigger threat is the fact that this ends up filtering up, and into government and into policy. And so that's why we have to concern about is that they have so much more power than, than, than tens of thousands of, of anti-fascists and, or just normal folk who are, don't like, don't want to be, don't like Nazis and don't like, don't like fascism. And so that's, that's the, you know, that's the, to me is the biggest threat is that the way we move, whether it be foreign policy or, or domestic policy is is so deeply influenced, and and Trump is is, is going to have a full four years to have uh, to infiltrate this government with um, with you know small cogs along the way, whether it be in the federal benches that are more friendly to 
to white nationalism. I mean, you don't have to be a card carrying member, not that there is of of well, maybe there probably is a of of the not of of a Nazi or fascist organization uh, to to be a fascist to be to be and to have and to have the effect that it needs to be. You know that they need to be. I mean, like you look at how cops did absolutely nothing after you know before Charlottesville and after Charlottesville. You know, and so and we also we found out how many cops were <laughs> white supremacists. Um, you know, and you know I don't think we have to. You know, you can just look at a lot of police officers' tattoos, and, and you see a lot of uh, signs that again part of the Venn diagram of figuring out whether somebody is a is a white nationalist or whatever, just because they have a uh, an iron cross on their arm doesn't mean that they're a white nationalist. But if you add that up with two other things, you can kind of go, you probably are, you know? Yeah. I mean, and then yeah. we have, you know, and we have, you know, the the edge, you know, kind of the edge lords like, um, you know, like PewDiePie or, or somebody like who I'm still furious with the Bernie Sanders campaign for mainstreaming even more uh, Joe Rogan, who continually allows white nationalists, Nazis and people like Alex Jones on on his show because he thinks it's a goof, you know, and he's like, oh, it's interesting people to talk to. And it's like, no, you're introducing these people into there. Yes. 80 percent of the people that watched Alex Jones will go, oh, my God, this guy is. Oh, Jesus. I can't believe this guy's allowed to be in America and whatever. But 20 percent will go, oh, OK, I'll listen. You know, like, and then they yeah. turn on to, they go to Infowars and they, they listen in and then they, then, it, then Alex Jones has, Alex Jones has Richard Spencer on. I mean, so does, so does CNN have Richard Spencer on, but I mean, Alex Jones has Richard Spencer on for an hour and gr- agrees with him, you know? And so then the next step is you go to Alex, you go to Richard Spencer and then what's the, you know, what's the next step after Richard Spencer? You know, you get, you get more so, and then you get, you go up into the, you know, then two steps away, you're joining Adam Waffen, you know? And so. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people looking for, you know, looking for something that, you know, fills whatever hole they have in their, in their being. And, you know, this, it's very quickly, if you're not fighting every single day against these people that you're going to start losing that battle really quickly. You know, I mean, I, I, I always hate the comparison. I mean, it's like Germany, Germany before Germany between world war one and world war two was this unbelievable like <laughs> like before before nazism started you know before hiller it was a very socially liberal place um and then it drifted so quickly to 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 well the holocaust and and you know i mean this is one of, you know one of the things that i i worry about with um you know if we don't do if we don't do this uh you know kind of shift back right um we can also have a swing back really quickly. And, and so it's one of my, one of my fears about, you know, like, you know, having all my lefty dreams fulfilled is that how quickly the right wing will respond with the help of centrists, you know, because, I mean, you have people like Chris Matthews and you people, whatever, like, you know, trying to compare um, a democratic socialist to, uh, to Hitler or to, or um, to uh, the Brown shirts and things like that. And so, so it's like this, this can happen really quickly. I mean, MSNBC is something everyone's got to remember is was is not historically a liberal uh, news network. It's just changed because, well, there's Fox and now we have to be the counter. And it's, you know, that's that's an economic decision. It's not a political one. But yeah. 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 Uh, well, Zach, I've, I've yeah. got to hop, unfortunately, but 
<laughs> enjoyed the conversation. Really appreciate the work that you do. And uh, I think I, I encourage all the listeners to check out your galleries and, and the photos. Um, any any asks you would make? Anything you want to plug on your end? Um, I uh, I mean, I have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash DD Roberts. But, um, you know, biggest thing is, is, uh, you know, go go to my Twitter feed at ZD Roberts. And uh, I've uh, actually you can you can go to Nation of Change. And if you search, um, search my name, you'll find I wrote an article um, and I'll I'll retweet it out again. But um, I wrote an article a while back, um, basically with a laundry list of people that you can follow and and podcasts you should listen to um, and and things like that that you can do to just be kind of be a casual anti-fascist <laughs> you know you don't have to like full-blown this does not have to be your life you don't have to show up in in black at a, at a protest you can you can kind of inform yourselves and and then counter people when they start talking I'm like well joe rogan's cool you know but yeah um but if you if you start living in this world you start realizing what kind of danger that people like him or people like even bill maher who you know showcases people like milo and uh, steve bannon you know what danger the entry way to Nazism or fascism that these people are. And so um, I'll repost that on my uh, Twitter and I'll pin it up um, uh, for anyone uh, following. Um, but uh, if you go to Nation Change, link in the show notes. Yeah. For okay. That. Yeah. That probably makes sense more. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just basically did a laundry list of things that you, people you can follow, people that you should follow and track. And also, um, I also linked in the article to uh, as many people I could find uh, their Patreons, which uh, even more so than me, uh, anybody who's doing like the daily grind of uh, anti fascism. Fascist uh, or uh, of you know white extremist research, um, you should give them their money. Give you give give them your money uh, and do that before. For every I, I have a thing. For every twenty seven dollars you send to Bernie Sanders, you should send the equal amount to a journalist or a researcher who's fighting this shit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Zach, uh, I will put those links up. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks for letting me ramble. This has been The Most Interesting People I Know. If you enjoy this show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. This helps new people find the podcast and validates my self-worth. If you don't enjoy the show, please keep your thoughts to yourself or email me at mostinterestingpeople27 at gmail.com. Music is by me. Podcast design is by Jacob Babrowitz.